Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey there, welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Dr. Baruch Levy, also known as B. Thanks for tuning in. Whether you're watching by video or listening to the podcast, I'm really delighted you're here. This one does have a visual. I will explain everything you need. It's just really one slide, but um, it is available for you or will be available for you on the website on the podcast page. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page and you will be able to downloading. So I want to talk to you about, you know, my newest complimentary program called Discover Your Number. Jump over to Discover Your Number. And I created it because I got tired. I get tired of having to sign, um, having to sign the Enneagram test to people to get started on their journey. I hate that as a starting point. Then there's nothing wrong with an Enneagram assessment or test, except it really undermines my message, which is you are not a number, nobody, no thing, nothing can tell you who you are or what you are, why you're here. So go take this number to tell us why you're here, right? You can feel like it's just, it's not in the right order of things. I want you to begin the journey of discovering your number and understanding that these are nine fundamental ways of being in the world, nine motivations, whys, directions, so that you can live your true self and own your own your number, which is my additional program, so that you can really master your set of ingredients, your life's curriculum, if you will. And then ultimately you can defy it because you're not a number. And when we learn the Enneagram number so that we can ultimately not live unconsciously, not live in reaction. And that's the beauty of the Enneagram. And I'll get into that in a second. But then I say, hey, take a test. So discover your number is, it's just a one page. Um, You scroll down on a website, my website, and you go down the page and you just look at the who, the what, and the why. Who this Enneagram type is, you know, this one particular type of all the nine, what they believe, what they value, and why they do what they do you can really narrow down your number pretty quickly. Um, But you can also learn because most of these tests, you're not learning anything, you're checking boxes. So you learn, you, you identify all nine types, you start to rank order them because they're all in you. It's not like you have one. These are just nine fundamental energies or ways of being in the world. You have rank ordered them in your unconscious strategy to survive. So you go down the order and, you know, this top one is the most resonant with you. It's your core type. But the next one down is your go-to, next go-to strategy and so forth. So the Discover Your Number gives you the opportunity to go through all nine types, to rank order them, to find your core type, but also to learn about the people around you. Because once you learn that your spouse is a two or the helper or your uh, boss is an Enneagram six, the loyalist, you can stop living in reaction and choose your response, help them choose their response. That's the discover your number program. 
Now, I want to talk about in this podcast one of the ways that I see the Enneagram in in my life is around the Jewish holy days. Now, many of you know, uh, ordained rabbi, and I practiced as a rabbi for about 15 years, studied for six years prior to that, so a good chunk of my life. And I still, you know, um, participate in Jewish events like the High Holy Days. As I'm recording this, they're coming up. I just don't, certainly don't teach Judaism anymore, don't represent anybody else's Judaism. And, and for me, I just like cobbling together my practice. I'm a spiritual mutt. Raise my kids as Jews. I believe in it. But I also believe in lots of different interesting pathways to live our true self. So I cobble this together best practice, that spiritual mutt piece of myself, you know, drawing upon great wisdom traditions like Catholic mysticism and Buddhism and Hinduism and certainly Judaism, Kabbalah specifically, and then lots of other systems. Well, why do I say that? Because one of the things I love about the Enneagram is it is uniting, it is not dividing. So it comes from multiple spiritual backgrounds, thousands of years. Nobody created the Enneagram. It's not Myers-Briggs, not DISC. It's evolved over thousands of years. Certainly Catholic, uh, yeah, Catholic mysticism and Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, totally in alignment with the Enneagram because I think that the originators or the ev evolutionists, is that a word, evolutionists, um, people who evolved the Enneagram, new Kabbalah and new Catholic mysticism. It's not coincidental that the seven deadly sins that we know of today that grow out of the Catholic tradition are identical with seven of these nine numbers. And either two got dropped or two from the original, or I don't know, but they originally were nine, or it's not a stretch to see how all nine of these ties into the seven deadly sins, the nine deadly sins. And in Kabbalah, the nine fundamental energies, there's 10, but um, nine in this sort of lower realm, another conversation for another time. Bottom line, the Enneagram is really about nine sins, nine deadly sins. Now, if I say sin, most people turn the channel, turn the dial back in the old day, right? Because what you hear is, here comes a rabbi, here comes a preacher, here comes a, a you know, a Bible thumper with their finger out. If you're watching, right, you can see, you know, thou shall not, thou shall. That's not a sin. That's religion being co-opted. These are profound ideas that have been used and abused and misunderstood and now sort of ruined for the majority of us who hear sin and think, oh God, here it comes. As, I, as I'm recording this, as I mentioned, uh, Jewish holy days are coming and it's all about sin, except it's not about sin. The Hebrew word for sin, chet, not hate, but like baruch, which is why I go by B because Americans don't like saying ch, but chet is the original term for sin. Now it comes from archery, believe it or not. The Hebrew word, which you've heard before for the five books of Moses called the Torah, literally means to shoot an arrow. If you're watching, I'm shooting an arrow, right? It's an archer's term. It's a direction. So Torah, five books of Moses, is a direction. What is Jewish law called? Halakha, which means a way. It's a way of moving forward in life. If you look at 
Taoism, if you look at Christianity, right, the Tao or Christianity calls it via or um, uh, Dharma. I mean, there's every tradition has the same thing, which always means the way. So all of these religions are saying the same thing. There's a direction of intentionality that we need to live our lives if it's going to be a good life. And all of the religions are saying essentially the same thing, that there is a direction. Every direction isn't legitimate. There are bad directions. We knew, we know people who go in bad directions, but here's the truth. We all go in bad directions or destructive directions or deadly directions, and we must course correct. We're like an airplane. Viktor Frankl talks a lot about, he was a, um, a pilot. He liked to um, do it. He had a lot of interesting activities. He was also a mountain climber. He talks about, um, is it crabbing? Is that what it's called? Any of you pilots listening? Where you're off course constantly and you're correcting, auto-correcting to get back onto path. That's us. That's our life. We all are living a life in a direction and we just get off course. I don't meet anybody who intentionally veers from the course. I counsel and coach people all day, every day who a little bit off the path, a little bit off the path. And then pretty soon you wake up and it's like the talking heads song, right? This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful car. How did I get here? Letting the days go by. Okay, I'll spare you. But um, it's a process of an unraveling, of an undoing, of an unconsciousness. That's what the Enneagram gets into. Each one of us has a core sin, not a sin. Chet means to miss the mark. So that distance between an arrow landing and how far it is off the mark, that is the level of sin or missing the mark or off courseness. And the distance back in Hebrew, as we're getting ready for the high holy days, is called teshuva. Now, teshuva is often um, translated as repentance. It's not repentance. It's an archer's term. What does it mean? Arrow, direction, Torah, chet, missing the mark. Teshuva literally means to return back to the center, to return back to the target, to return back to the path. All of life is about moving in direction that we know is good, that is ours, that we're here to go, missing the mark and returning, hopefully more than just annually, but um, weekly, daily, moment to moment, constant course correction and return. And that's what the Enneagram is all about. Nine deadly wounds, deadly, not sins, ways that will cause us a type of a death if we don't course correct. Not because of there's a punishing God, but because this is mathematics, right? Two plus two always equals four. And let's go through the mathematics of missing the mark because each one of these types will lose themselves down a particular path, or I call it a wound. Again, sin or wound if they don't stand guard and heal the wound. So again, you have all of these in you. All nine of these wounds are human and they're in each and every one of us. The question is, is which one is our core wound? And then sort of stack rank ordering them from there. So you'll have your core and then you'll go down to the next one and the next one. For now, it's enough to pay attention to your core wound as I talk these through and which one speaks to you the most. And when you say, uh-oh, 
That's my wound. If I don't stand guard against that, it sets a chain reaction little by little, day by day, where I'm reacting. Remember Viktor Frankl, we are either living in reaction, unconscious in fear, or we are living in our truth, our power, responsible, response-able, able to respond in our life. When you are at your wound, you know you're going to be in reaction. Ain't nothing you can do about it. We, um, I had a an open cut the other day. It was really sore. It was like a little infected. And my daughter went to touch my hand and I felt myself like jerk back because I was afraid she was going to touch the wound. That's a reaction. That's how we are with our wounds in our lives. And so the Enneagram will show us where that knee-jerk reaction happens, starting with our core wound so that we can heal it. So let's go through all nine wounds and a little bit of the healing process. So I don't want to go too long in this video. Okay. Enneagram one, we'll start there. Enneagram one called the um, reformer. Uh, lots of people call it the perfectionist. Doesn't matter what you call it. It's always dealing with the same thing. The core wound for a one. It's not one word, but I do have one word here just for simplicity's sake. I will say this one is probably a good word for this type. Immoral. Ones live feeling unconsciously. It's not like they sit around necessarily articulating this. They feel like they're not good people. They feel like they're never good enough. That's why they're the perfectionists. There's always like, if I could just do a little more, then I'd be good. Um, they are. This is the interesting thing about the Enneagram. Now, they'll overcompensate by oftentimes being the good boy or the good girl, the goody two-shoes kind of a thing. So they are kind of like that choir boy image, but that's an overcompensation if they're not careful, they're just doing it because they're so scared on the inside that they're just immoral and they aren't worthy of the air to breathe. Again, unconscious and reactive, but there's a core fear that I am not good. Now, that's a wound. They heal it through getting away from perfectionism and remembering. Everything is about remembering. You don't become anything. Not on the Jewish path of the high holy days. You don't become holy. What do you do? You return or remember your path and then return to the path, but it begins in remembering. And so then you return to who you are. So in so many ways, the wound or the sin or the Enneagram type is not who you are. It's who you're not. It's where you've lost yourself. It's how you've strayed. The pathway back for the one is to be good not to be perfect, to know that they are good, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They have a lot in common with the three. We'll get there. Enneagram two, the core wound deals around relationship, lovability. They are called the, in the system, the, at least my system, the helper, many systems. Enneagram twos are sometimes the nurturer, the giver, the lover. They're always around relationship. It stems from a core fear that they are not worthy of love, that they are unlovable. And so they need to do something to be loved. They need to give in particular to others to be loved. They need to fulfill the needs of others to be worthy of love. Again, reaction. They don't have to live this way. We can defy our number. But if they're not conscious, they're constantly dealing with the core wound of not feeling like enough. That's their sin. If they don't stand guard against that, they will lose themselves down a path of being in relationship for the wrong reasons or not having clear intentions or motivations. 
So the way to heal that, to return back to the path, is to know that they are worthy of love because they are a beautiful, profound, unique, one-of-a-kind human being, a child of God, and they deserve love with without having done anything. They simply are the sperm, as Wayne Dyer says, that won the race, or I was corrected recently. For some people, that image doesn't work. Then you're the egg that won the race, but you won the race. You're here. You're thousands of years of uh, genetic victory. You know, you're worthy, and that's the Enneagram too. Enneagram 3, the achiever. Enneagram 3, the go-getter, the performer, oftentimes called. This one is all about doing, coming from a core wound of a fear of failure. They Not only do they fear the act of failure, if they don't stand guard against their wound, it will tell them they are a failure. And if they can just do more, then they'll be a winner. If they could achieve more, this is what can cause them to become overly competitive and turn everything into a validation of their worth. That's why if they're very unconscious, they're the ones who like flip the monopoly board over when they lose and have, you know, the tantrum. I, I knew a kid who did this playing um, outdoor football, just, you know, pick up football. He would always take his ball literally and go home. And it was like, must've been a three because when he lost, it only happened when he lost, never when he won. So threes have to stand guard against this wound and understand that they are not here to perform. They are here to inspire. These are the inspiring types, but it never comes from an outside set of victories. It comes from an inner attitude or stance in the world. So a core wound of failure. Enneagram fours, they lose themselves around. This one's a hard one. There's a loneliness, ex existential loneliness to it. Not I, I shouldn't have put alone here. Lone tends to invoke a sort of feeling of solitude, which is totally fine. Now they can become overly uh, alone. I don't know what's the word for that. Um, too much solitude. They can become, you know, sort of a, a hermit, a recluse. That's the word I'm looking for. And that, and they need to stand guard against that. It comes from this wound of they're not special. They're unoriginal, which is ironic. Each one of these is ironic because the wound is the very thing that they're charged with a superpower. Fours are the most unique, the most creative, expressive of all types, but they have this core fear that they're not. And so they overcompensate if they're not careful. Threes overcompensate um, for, you know, being afraid of failure and become winners and so forth. Each one of these types has to look at the shadow and the light of what their type offers to really understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And a four is afraid that they will be alone or lonely in the world because they're not special. Enneagram five called the investigator. Four is called the individualist or the romantic. Five is the investigator or the thinker or the observer. Fives fear being depleted, which also one is not so easy to understand, but it's, it's intellectual. They feel like they don't know enough. They, they constantly are this, I need more data, more information, but it's more than just thoughts. It's resources. They're the ones who really feel the pain of, of, a, of an environment that maybe we're, you know, burning up. I mean, yeah, this can probably take a, a billion years before the planet burns out. But fives worry from this place of we're being depleted, they're being depleted uh, emotionally. They have a very hard time standing guard against over what being overwhelmed by emotions. And so they're they're very reserved in the way they hold on to their emotions because they're afraid that they don't have enough. 
again, mental, emotional, financial. Sometimes they're accused of being miserly or cheap. They're afraid. And I've known, literally, I've known multimillionaire fives who feel like they're going to run out of money. So this wound, this and then and we'll get into next time, maybe the childhood origins of the wound, but this fear of being depleted, you can imagine how that causes you to hoard or to accumulate or to withhold. And so standing guard against that wound, healing that wound, knowing they have enough, that they are enough. Enneagram six, the loyalist, sometimes called the loyal skeptic. Um, this is the wound of betrayal. This is why they're so dutiful. They're, they're the servant. They want to be a part of a cause. And if you have the loyalty of a six, you have something special. Now, if you betray a six, look out because this is their wound. It just gets right into the heart of what they were afraid of all along. Sixes are probably the most prone to a self-fulfilling prophecy. So they'll worry about being betrayed, that they'll hire a private investigator to follow their spouse who wasn't cheating on them, only to find out later that the spouse was so unhappy with uh, you know this kind of skepticism and uh, paranoia that she ended up cheating. I, like, it's just crazy. But sixes have this tendency to create self-fulfilling prophecies. If you doubt and you share enough doubt and you're afraid long enough, it spills out onto other people. So sixes have to stand guard against this core wound that they're going to be left abandoned, betrayed, not worlds apart from the two, much more of a collective, not just a one-on-one. -on -one. Twos tend to be more about individual relationship. Sixes are much more communal relationship, being a part of a group, of an organization. Um, other issues there too around being safe and secure, but I feel feels always to me that a six is at the edge of betrayal. And that's a wound. Seven, another tough one to define. Now, nobody really ever talks about this I think this is the core wound of a seven. Seven's called the enthusiast, the optimist, the visionary. Sevens, um, they can be very shallow. And I don't just mean financially or materialistically or, you know, superficial looks and all that. It can, it can definitely be. Sevens and twos, threes can be the most materialistic or, or superficial. But what I mean is going deep. You know, sevens go wide. That's why they are so busy. They just keep doing, 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 going in 20 different directions. It's why they have so many interests and hobbies. And the moment there's downtime, they've scheduled another vacation. But it comes from a wound. And the wound is they feel scared that they don't have what it takes to go deep. Oftentimes I hear about seven partners who run from the relationship, won't commit or leave the commitment. They get afraid. They become afraid when... Um, when, when the conversation becomes a little bit negative or dark or suffering is involved, or when more is being asked of them, you know, take responsibility, go deeper in the marriage. And so they can easily go wide and they have to stand the ground and go deep because they're afraid underneath there that they don't have what it takes to man up, to woman up, to stand up, to be what the other person believes they can be. So, um, um, yeah, so seven is a shallowness, but not the typical kind. And that's the wound. And again, we're, we're here to heal each one of these and find our way back to our core power, our core strength, which is always the opposite side of that. So I would say depth. Sevens are truly deep when they stand their ground and do their work. Enneagram eight, the type that I react and respond like, the challenger. Enneagram eights, you know, they appear tough, right? We want to appear invulnerable, like we've got this. The tougher an eight gets, you know, the more 
insecure they are. So sometimes an eight will just look so tough and angry, but you know you're touching on something that's making them feel insecure, vulnerable, and weak. And so they go against the grain of every other type where they start working harder, they show less, they look tougher. Think of like Beth Dutton from Yellowstone, if you've seen Yellowstone. She's a vulnerable, scared little girl who's learned how to deal with her fears by being outrageously angry and tough and scaring the hell out of everybody, including this eight. But that's a, that's a weakness and it is a sin. It is a deadly sin. It destroys people when eights don't deal with this fear, this wound of weakness and understanding that that's not weak. What they think is weak is oftentimes truly vulnerable and profound when they let people in. So a wound that has to be healed and dealt with. Last but not least, I wouldn't want nines to think they're least because they sometimes feel like they're the least noticeable. Peacemakers, so peaceful, so harmonious, comes from this core wound. I could have put conflict because um, they're afraid of conflict, but they don't have what it takes to navigate the conflict, to stand up against tough people or bullies or difficult situations. And so this wound is that they're not enough and they don't have what it takes to, again, stand up. However, it's much more about, they, they get, they become afraid of being lost. I think of, um, you know, there's tales of like the 1800s in the Midwest, there were blizzards and there were farmers who would go out to check on their cattle and never come back again because um, they lost their way and they weren't very far from home, but they just, they couldn't find their way home. This, the nine always feels like they're afraid they're going to lose their way if it gets too scary, too vulnerable, uh, too, too, too conflictual, too big, big people, big energy, and they'll just lose themselves. And there's this just core wound of that they don't have what it takes to endure a very difficult world. It's a cruel world, but they do have what it takes. And they're some of the most strong and resilient people you'll ever meet. Um, so again, the other side of their wound is their strength, their, their superpower. This is about healing the wound of all nine types within us and our particular wound. It's about returning to our true self. The Enneagram is not who you are. Discover your number will not show you where you go when you are defying your number, your defiant power of the human spirit that is so much more than a number. It simply shows you where you go when your wound is touched, when it's the fear of it, of being exposed, when you go down your shame spiral. The Enneagram shows you who you are not and where you go when you're in reaction, but also the pathway out of reaction. So you can take back your power to choose your response and defy your number. Jump over to discover your number. If you know your number, follow that and own your number. It's my first introductory program um, to go through all nine numbers and really go to the next level, not just discovering them, but owning them. And I'll talk more about that in another podcast. For now, discover your number, own your number, and stay tuned because we have to defy your number as well. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.